That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. This is Humans Music. If you like the intro, occasionally get some emails about that. What, what jam is that on the intro? My buddy Robbie out there in Canada. Shout out to those guys. Thanks for the awesome intro tunes. Always love this jam. Check them out at humansmusic.com. Good to be here with you today. If you've been listening for a long time, thank you for supporting the show. Our guest today is Jacob Straub. And Jacob was once homeless and addicted to heroin. Uh, Today, Jacob is the founder of a personal development brand and podcast called Mission Driven Made. Uh, He's a former firefighter, paramedic, and spent almost 10 years in fire EMS. And one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to Jacob today is because I know that we have um, a lot of first responders, police officers, um, uh, firefighters, EMS, um, men and women who listen to the show. So... It's going to be great to hear his story and get some insight from him and see what he's up to with uh, today with the Mission Driven Made podcast and purpose. Uh, but before we get to Jacob, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at thatsoberguypodcast. Uh, join us on Locals. It's kind of like Instagram meets Patreon. So you can help support us there. Uh, you can be part of a growing sober community that is safe uh, and in addition, it'll help you stay accountable. And we always like to have some fun in the process. Uh, I think we're coming up on 300 active members in there. We just started it back in February or March, I think. And uh, really love the platform, seeing people join in every day. So if you're looking for a, a safe place to go and share and be a part of a sober community and have some fun in the process, I'd love to have you join right now. You can download the Locals app or you can go to that soberguypodcast.locals.com. And both those links are in the show notes. Uh, And all the links from today's podcast will be in the show notes, so you can easily find those. And uh, I think that is it today. Really good to be here. Welcome to the show, Jacob. It's uh, good to have you on the podcast, man. How are you? Thanks for uh, having me on the show. And I needed to say that intro was awesome. (laughs) I've I've heard it, you know, a few times before coming on the show, but hearing it live, I, I got all excited hearing that. Good. That's the goal. That's the goal. I like doing yeah. it live like that, even though we're not distributing the podcast live. Who knows? Maybe we'll get to that that point one day, um, you know, maybe a daily show. Who knows? But it's always fun. It does help to kind of get the energy up and set the format and the tone for the conversation, which I'm really looking forward to today, man. So good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. So you're out in Phoenix, uh, formerly San Diego area. Um and uh, you, you just moved recently. Um, dude, so give us a little background about yourself. Let's get to know you a little bit, and then we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper. Yep. And can I kind of start from the beginning? Does Please, that work? Man. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So I, when I explain my story, there's kind of, you could say, four chapters or four points kind of in the beginning part of my life that molded me into the teenager I was, uh, which is when I went through most of the stuff that I did. So I was born in San Jose. I was only there a few days and I was raised in the East Bay area up in Northern California. And I was there, lived there for about 19 years. Now, one of the very first points in my life where something kind of significant happened, my dad left my mom early on. When I was young, you know, it didn't have any impact on me until later on. That happened, which immediately followed up with 
my mom starting her 30 year substance abuse, um, I guess you could say journey, which she still struggles, struggles with today. So, you know, she was on her own at the time she had three of us young kids and that's how she coped with my dad leaving. So with all the chaos going on very early on, I found sports, eventually fitness and nutrition. And I loved playing sports because this is where I felt like I could gain my confidence and just go all in with something. And it was kind of the first time I could realize I had this uh, addictive personality, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I was always practicing and playing sports. I would wake up at like six in the morning every day to go practice my slap shot for hockey outside or, or my free throw. I, there was even times where my neighbors asked me politely if I can wait till, you know, nine in the morning to start <laughs> shooting yeah. hoops. So that was me. I, I gave my all and my everything into sports. And as I started to get a little bit older, I'll say maybe around 13 or 14 years old, my perception of life started to really shift and went from this hardworking person who wanted to be the absolute best at what he was doing to adopting kind of this victim mentality. Mm. And I thought I had the worst life, the worst family life in the world, and that no one else ever went through what I did. And that's how I started to view life. And it kind of poisoned my mind. And up until that point, I told myself, I'm never going to take a sip of alcohol. I'm never going to use drugs. I see what this has done to my mom and you know, my family, there's no way. At 14, though, that quickly changed. I started drinking. I started uh, smoking, and that quickly led to using ecstasy. So it was just one thing after another because the previous, you know, it wasn't enough. I wanted to get, you know, more, more loaded or feel better or whatever it was. Uh, started using ecstasy. I did it, you know, probably four days in a row when I, when I first did it. And I'll never forget, it was a Monday morning. I was going into school. It was just before my first period class. So I don't know, maybe 7.45 in the morning. I took an ecstasy pill. And within a few minutes, I started to realize it was you know, laced with who knows what. Mm. Um, but I had a kind of, you could call it an overdose if you want. Everything kind of started going black. I was sitting there in class. I was in the back. So I don't know if my teacher even noticed. But after a few minutes, when it started wearing off a little bit, I got up left my class and started walking around outside to, you know, try to feel better. And at that point, one of my friends, she just so happened to be walking around outside too. I think she was using the restroom or something. And she was so freaked out what I did. She was pleading with me to go and at least see the school nurse. Mm. So I did that, which is probably a mistake. They turned me over to the police. I ended up getting arrested for the first time in front of most of the school. Cause yeah. by this time it was almost second period. So, and I really believe we are where we are today, even me and you sitting right here talking, Yeah. mostly based on a lot of small choices that we made, got us there, like day-to-day decisions. But I do believe every once in a while, there's these larger pivotal moments that you have that do affect the course of your life. So at that point, realizing how much I was messing up, I could have gone two ways. I could have given myself back to sports and fitness and gone down that route or continue to do what I was doing. And which is exactly what I did. Yeah. My addiction started getting worse and quickly that turned into, you know, me using cocaine, any type of pills you can think of 
mushrooms, really anything. I was always loaded, you know, in school, almost a hundred percent of the time. Eventually I got kicked out of two schools, um, on and off. I got kicked out of my house and eventually the drugs I was doing again, it, it wasn't enough. I needed something a little bit more, or as my stepdad used to say, uh, the major leagues is what he called it. So one day I found myself in, in West Oakland. I'm driving around in this car. People are passing around the crack pipe. And I decided that heroin would be the, the ticket to not feeling pain or hurt or anger anymore. So I went home. You know, I was by myself. I didn't do this with a group of people like some might do. And I shot up heroin for the first time. And that quickly got even more out of control. It wasn't just, you know, I was getting... Hi, now it was drugs were completely controlling my every fiber of my being. And I noticed this, I was probably doing it for three or four weeks. And I noticed this and it started to freak me out a little bit. I was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. Like this is legitimately controlling my entire life. Yeah. So I went outside. I'll never forget. It was in the winter. It was raining. And I took the rest of my heroin and I threw it in the bottom of a dumpster. I'm like, okay, this is it. I, I'm done. And I was, I think I was seven or 18 at the time and walked back in the house. I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to get sober. And that thought lasted for about an hour. And for the first time I started feeling the withdrawal symptoms of heroin, mm. went back out, Damn. found myself diving at the bottom of this dumpster to find my drugs. And then it was back to shooting up you know, up to 10 times a day or so. So, so was that like, a, would, would you kind of describe that as the beginning of that like battle between, because I know a lot of people go through that. I know I went through it um, in particular with, with alcohol um, where you really want to get sober. You feel it, you know it, but you just cannot, you, you don't know how to, to go to that next step. And you find yourself back in this endless cycle of going back and forth. Um, that's what it kind of sounds like to me. It's terrible. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. That, that was the, the first time where I was like, man, I don't even know what to do from here. Yeah. Cause not only am I dependent on this, like mentally, I guess you could say I was physically hooked on this stuff. So I, at that point, I didn't even know what to do besides to keep using. I didn't want to feel sick anymore. And, you know, around that time too, because because of all these poor decisions I made and obviously my addiction I started, I was living in cars. I was living on couches. I was living sometimes uh, in trailer parks or a few times I was lucky and people, you know, had me in their home and I stayed there for a while. So I was really fortunate with that. And I ended up trading uh, my car for more drugs, I overdosed uh, a bunch of times and was in the hospital. And then throughout this entire period, so this is, we'll call it like 14 to somewhere around 19 years old. I, I was arrested and in rehab eight separate times. Wow. And I'm in the, the last facility that I was ever in, uh, you know, for rehab. And I was detoxing for the first couple of days in there. And I was so sober for maybe, I don't know, a week or so. And then, you know, started getting that itch again and wanted wanting to get loaded. So I started sneaking out in the middle of the night in rehab. And this is in San Jose. And I, I got hooked on crystal meth while I was in rehab. Mm. So I was doing crystal meth. I was doing <clears throat> methadone. I was all types of stuff. And it came to this 
point where it's like, why am I even here? I'm just, I'm just using what, what's the point. So that's when I had, you know, more homelessness, uh, you could say. So I left and within a few days, I had no money, no food, no car. It was, you know, a winter night and I'm sleeping outside. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I had so many rock bottom moments up until that point. Yeah. But I was thinking all my friends are off at college you know, or doing these great things, whatever it was. And I was sitting there, no food, no money, homeless out in the cold, mm. you know. So I went back to rehab. I did have eventually one more a relapse. Um, but that was kind of one of the last big things just to remind myself, you know, what are you doing? You know, I, I thought I was, I was completely convinced that I was going to die or I went, you know, I wasn't going to make it till 20 or maybe I was going to just end up in, you know, in jail again or something. Um, so that, that is the, the, the bulk of my story, at least with uh, my drug use. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I know too, it's always tough to put that many years and that many, um, you know, experiences and ups and downs all into, into like five minutes, you know what I mean? So you did a very good job of that. Thank you, man. Um, of course. and it's, dude, it's crazy, man. There's, there's a couple of things I wanted to hit on one that kind of first stands out and then we'll kind of go, I want to hear more like what obviously what comes after that. But yep. one of the things I think that so many people struggle with, I know I struggled with it you said it early on is the victim mentality. And so we, we find this mentality and I I actually think it's a pandemic that's ran through our whole culture and society today, but that's probably for another podcast. Um, personally, you know, it was, there was anger, there was why me, there was, um, misunderstanding. I mean, all those emotions is like a young kid that you don't really understand. And I always say the best thing, you know, yeah, I struggle with alcohol, but the the thing that I really struggle with is feeling. I didn't want to feel stuff. And it sounds like yeah. you kind of went through, our stories are actually really similar, man. I picked up on a lot of things, but can you talk about that a little bit? Dive in a little bit to the victim mentality and how did you kind of come, come through that? Yep. So I always try to make this clear when I'm talking about the victim mentality. I'm not talking about people that were victims of something horrible. I'm yeah. literally talking about the mentality of, bad things are happening to you in life and you think that you're the only one that's ever gone through this and that there's no possible way out of it. So you kind of give up. So I just, for all your listeners, just want to make sure that's clear. Um, So it took me a a very long time to realize that that's how I viewed life. I just, I thought it was a hundred percent accurate and that was it. So when I got sober, one of the, the first things that I decided to do when I started having a perception shift in my mind was, and I, I didn't call it this at the time. This is just me looking back on it, but was ownership mm-hmm. and starting to realize that I'm in control at minimum with the actions I take or the things that I put in my body. So that yeah. that was one of the first things. Of course, it's hard to think that way if you're still using it's very hard to to do that. And I feel for people that are still there. Uh, but after being clean for just a little bit, I realized, man, like I am completely in control of those two things. So I am, I'm going to start there. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to start with that. So when you get to, you said you went through eight, eight different rehabs at one point or somewhere. So, yeah, I was, uh, 
in jail or rehab eight separate times. Okay. So yeah, let's, so if we kind of look back at those eight times, um, and, and then like, what is different on the ninth time or what was that moment right. where like, what changed for you? Because we hear that a lot too. I get a lot of questions about that. It's like the, the yo-yo, like I'm, I'm sober for a week and then I'm back to it. or I'm sober for a day. I'm back to, it. I've been to rehab and then I'm, it's the ins and the outs. What finally changed for you? Was there like a moment where it was like, man, okay, something clicked. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, um, almost all the previous times at least in a sense, I was forced to be there, whether that was from the courts or when I was way younger, my parents. So I, I wasn't ready to, to give up um, using at the time. Mm. I mean, I do think though, if someone isn't ready to, you know, to, to give up using and they have the chance to go to rehab, there's still potential that they could change. But for my personal story, I, I was so stubborn that I, I wasn't going to change no matter how long I had been sober in the previous rehabs. So that was the first thing you, you do have to come to a point. I feel like for long-term sobriety, where it is your choice that you're doing for yourself, not just for other people, even yeah. though you can use that as motivation, of course. So that was one of the first things I started uh, to realize this is what I want with my life. And now to answer the second part of your question, as most people, the addiction, they'll come to multiple rock bottoms the one that just shook me was the story when I said, you know, I was sleeping outside and it was cold and, you know, homeless. Yeah. So that got me. And then sitting there, I don't know if I would looked at a picture or something on my phone, but just seeing my friends off doing these great things and living life and I'm in rehab again mm-hmm. and it's my birthday and I'm probably going to die. So that, that was kind of one of the last straws that got me to change. And I was also very fortunate too, because toward the end of that rehab program, a few other things happened. So my, you know, I was actually sober. My perception started to shift. Also, this gentleman came into the program and started sharing the gospel with me and invited me to church. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I came to the conclusion that there was a creator and that there's something bigger than myself. Yeah. So those things were very important to me and really helped propel me forward to stay sober. So I started going to church. I started realizing there's bigger and more important things than me. And I guess kind of the the last thing was realizing the commitment it took me to even get sober. I'm like, I can use this now to do good things with my life. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you found, you found some purpose. It sounds like too, like there's a, when, once we kind of unlock that and figure out, man, there's something more to this. Like I know for me, like it was like, I had a moment where, I had this deep um, like need and want to explore what God had more for my life. And I knew I couldn't do it until I cut out the alcohol. That was like the first, the first step. Um, so finding something bigger, something higher, higher power, God, um, you know, was, was huge. One thing I wanted to ask you about real quick too, the reservations. We had uh, um, someone in our locals group. I, th- I want to say it was Taylor. Um he had posted on there, um, you know, hey, I just dumped out a whole bottle of, um, you know, like bourbon or something like that. Um, and kind of, in other words, like reservations. We talked a lot about that in 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 rehab myself. And so you kind of went through that too, those reservations, like holding on to those things. Um, 
you know, just in case, you know, but we have to get to a point where we're just like, we're all in, like throw the chips in the middle. I give up, like I'm done. What do I, somebody help me. You know what I mean? God help me, yep. whatever it is. So did you have that moment too, where it was just like, I'm done like hundred percent. Oh yes. Uh, completely. Yeah. And it was a, around that time, you know, when I was invited to church mm-hmm. and that's when I decided I'm going to go all in with a couple things. Okay. So it was going to church at first. Like I said, I wasn't a Christian, but that was important. And then for me, I was like, I need to find something that challenges me that I value and that I can put my time and energy into getting better at. So I think it's really important, you know, of course, to have accountability. And if people go to AA or NA meetings or they're part of groups, that that is awesome. And I hope if yeah. that works for people, they continue. But for me personally, I had done that for years and I knew I need to add one more thing to to the mix to to be successful. So for me, at that moment, that's when I decided to get back into fitness and nutrition and to take it seriously for myself. And then uh, I got ended up getting certified as a trainer. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go all in with doing this, at least for now. So the, those were the few things that helped me propel forward. So I went all in with, at first with church, with getting healthy myself and then working on this new career. I, I needed to have that and and not just float along in life and be passive and have the only thing that I do is go to meetings because yeah. meetings are fantastic, but we need, I needed to do a little bit more because I feel like people will go there and stay sober for a little bit. But if you, if you don't start adding other things that challenge you, that you yeah. can put your time and energy into, you could kind of go back down that path the second that you get bored, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's a good point. And I think it, it happens often. We hear about it often. I've, I've seen it happen to people. Um, and I think with that, at least the way I hear it, the way you're saying it is like, we have to find something that we're passionate about that we love to do. Like for me, I'm a creator. I like creating stuff. Like I love um, like artistic stuff. I love talking to people. I love helping people. Um, when we find something to do, that gives us some drive and some purpose, it's really, at least for me, it's so much easier to stay on that path. And it ain't perfect, but it's so much easier to stay on that path and and stay sober because I don't need that crap. And I like who I am. I'm learning about who I am continually every single day, you know, um, and, and that makes it a lot easier. And then you you know, all together. Yeah. There's the meetings, the connection, the fellowship, you know, my family, like all those things together. Um, so I know I said a lot there. What does life look like today for you, man? Like how, how, how does all of that stuff kind of play into your sobriety and your, um, you know, this new venture on the, on your podcast and this new mission for you? Yeah. So, uh, currently uh, right now I'm in the Phoenix area with uh, my wife, my two little girls and literally just a couple months ago, I started this personal development brand called Mission Driven Made. And simply put, it's a podcast where I talk about different personal development topics, but I also talk with high achieving successful people on there to help inspire other people. Uh, With that, there's also a blog, there's a newsletter, there's apparel, and then we have some really cool things coming in the future. So I'm doing that with, with the hope of being able to teach people to take action with their life no matter where they are in life. It could be someone like myself where I was you know, a drug addict and a teenager, 
or it can be someone, you know, who maybe has a job and a family, but they're just kind of stuck. So that right now is my purpose. Uh, but what led me to that, um, as you had mentioned in the intro, I was a firefighter paramedic in a part of that career field for almost 10 years, um, somewhere right in there. And during that time, I actually had a career ending back injury um, mm. while I was working as a firefighter paramedic. Wow. Because of that, I got transferred to the recruitment division for the department, which was one of the best things that ever happened to me, even though I didn't feel like it at first. Yeah. And while I was in there, you know, knowing that I'm not going to be in the fire department for the rest of my life, I started thinking of other things that I can do, other career paths or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I started to realize when I would go out to these speaking engagements, when I go to career fairs, classrooms, conferences, whatever it was, I started to realize the power of someone's life story can be the catalyst for someone else to change their life. So this started clicking with me. Even though I was mainly talking about fire department stuff in the appropriate settings, I would share a little bit about my story. And I started to realize this could actually be used for good. My story, yeah. other people's story <laughs> of not just suffering, but you know, of, of success and winning, this can be shared with so many people. Uh, so those were kind of the, I guess you could say that was the foundation, which led me to start mission driven made along with, you know, a whole bunch of other things. So yeah, life right now is, is the brand and, and family and just being here yeah. in uh, Arizona in the 120 degree weather. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were talking, uh, we were talking before we started recording today and I was saying the one time <laughs> our, our family went out to Phoenix, it was like 118 or something. And there was like nobody out on the street either because it was just so damn hot. Everybody had to yep. stay inside or in their pools, but we had a good time, man. You find the pool and just try to stay cool as possible. Um, you know, maybe, maybe this is kind of a, um, a simple question, or I, I don't even know how to put it, what, what terms to put it in, but I kind of was wondering if you could break down, like for you, what is a mission driven mindset? And like, maybe for other dudes out there listening, like what, what is that? Like kind of unpack it a little bit. I'm, re I'm really glad you asked that. So what mission driven means or having that mindset, it's taking imperfect, but relentless action toward your life or your goals. So I threw the imperfect word in there just so people knew you didn't have to have this perfect plan before you start something. Mm, that's good. So yeah, I, I prepare for stuff and I plan, but if we obsess to the point where we're delaying our next step because it's not perfect yet, yep. I feel like we're doing ourselves and other people a disservice. So it, yeah, it's taking that imperfect but relentless action toward your life and your goals and doing this on a daily basis and back to the victim mentality. So for me, it's, it was the switch from that to a solutions oriented mentality, meaning whatever problem comes my way every single day. Now this can be in business. This could be life, family, whatever it is. I've already made the decision beforehand that I'm going to figure it out, whether I have to go through the problem or around it, but I'm not moving backwards. So I, I made that decision. So I'm trying to show people no matter where you are, what rank, what level, how old you are, you can make that same decision as well with your life. Yeah. And that way it's, it's a, uh, it's almost liberating. It's yeah. Stuff is going to be hard. Yes. Stuff is going to 
come at me and it's going to be challenging and you're probably not going to like it. But if you make the decision to keep pushing forward, then in a way you, you can't really be beaten. Yeah. Hunter, dude. Um, and I'll, <clears throat> it doesn't have to be perfect. Like I would have never started this podcast if I waited for it to be perfect because it ne- it's still not perfect. Like I'm still learning things every single time I do a podcast. Um, probably same, same thing for you in whatever it is, whether it's a podcast or like we're constantly learning. And I know I've talked about this on the podcast. A lot of other guys have talked about it. Trip Lanier on the new man, I think was the first place I heard it, or maybe it was Eric. Um, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his last name. He was a ex Navy SEAL guy. I think he was on Trip's podcast, but embracing the suck. Like we suck at shit sometimes. Like it's just part of it, you know? And as dudes, you know, we don't like to suck at stuff. We want to, so a lot of the time what happens is we get stuck in this little box yeah. and we're like, I'm not going to try that. Cause I don't want to look like a jackass or whatever. And I understand that mentality, but at the same time back to, it doesn't have to be perfect. We just need to move. Like one of the greatest sayings I heard in treatment, uh, one of the counselors there, David, he would say, move your ass and your mind will follow. I vote. That's always stuck with me is like well, moving ahead and the rest, like we're in a constant process, you know? So is that something that you b- believe in too? I'm assuming the answer is probably yes, but you want to elaborate on your mindset on that a little bit? Oh, that's a, a thousand percent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love the the saying that the gentleman told you during your treatment. Yeah. I completely and wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Got, got to be moving, man. Got to be moving forward. And to, uh, to go back to your point too, when you're saying a lot of us guys, especially like we don't like being bad at stuff that that's completely, completely true. But I started to learn, especially I feel like the last year or two, when I get to that point, it's just my, my own ego. Totally. That's it. My ego is just yep. too inflated or whatever it is that I don't want to do something where I know I'm going to look bad. I'm probably going to fail. People could say not nice things about me or whatever it is. That's just mainly the ego because everyone has been there at some point with whatever new skill or craft or, or uh, career it is just about everyone's been there. So if you can kind of have the mentality, like you said, of this lifelong learning and always learning and everyone goes through that, that, you know, that part in the beginning. So we just kind of have to push our ego aside a little bit when that happens. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, yeah, the ego thing is is crazy, you know, because we want to be like, <clears throat> we want to be confident in what we do. We also don't want to be arrogant, you know, dicks either. So it's like, yeah, of we, course, you know, there, there's a there's a balance in that and it can be tough for sure. too. I think that's why it's great to have accountability, whether you call it a sponsor, a mentor, um, somebody or just a just maybe a good homie or a group of, of friends who can kind of help all of us stay accountable, you know, in that, do you do any group? Um, do you do group, uh, um, like fellowship groups, whether it's in church or 12 step, or is that a part of your own recovery too? So I, I don't currently do any 12 step programs. I, I did that for a very long time, but I am uh, with a church. And then nice. one of the things that I was saying in the beginning that we're working on with mission driven made is starting a, a group, a, a membership group. So nice. it's, it's in the very beginning stages, but seeing, all these people, including yourself that have created groups, I realized how powerful that is. Yeah. And I, I have the mentality that iron sharpens iron. And when people are around each other like that, to hold each other accountable, everyone is going to 
improve yeah. at least to some capacity. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, for me, it's a uh, church and there is, you know, a person that I do call every once in a while when I'm struggling with the feelings of wanting to use doesn't happen too much anymore. I've been sober over a decade, but there's been two times where it was starting to kind of wreck my brain. And I, mm-hmm. I do have a person that I can call. So that's a very important, you know, yeah. to, to have yeah. that around you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> One of the things we just started, and I, I had <clears throat> I had been in a couple of mastermind groups with a buddy of mine, Larry Hagner, who does the Good Dad Project, actually. So, solid dude. I think he's out in the St. Louis area. Um, I had joined a mastermind with him a couple of years back. And then I got to reading uh, John Lee Dumas's new book, who was on the podcast um, a, a few weeks ago. And one of the chapters in there um, was, you know, about... Um, and this is more a little bit business, I guess, business, but also just purpose and mission driven too. I think relates to that was the power of a mastermind group and how you, you, you should be in one with other dudes. And so I said, you know what? So I got together, I think there's seven of us. We just started it. Um, I think our third meeting is tomorrow. We meet on Thursday mornings. Um, but dude, that has been, that has been an amazing, I can see like where it's headed and so one of the things I'm thinking about like is, man, I, I may start, um, you know, starting to create more mastermind groups um, later on down the road. I mean, who knows? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I see how powerful yeah. they are and how the accountability for them is a huge one. Dudes just aren't accountable sometimes, including myself. And if I don't have accountability, then I usually slip in those areas of, of things that I want to get done. You know, but that's something we should talk about maybe later on or something, dude, if that's something you're interested in as far as masterminds and what you guys are doing, maybe we can partner up on something, dude. That'd be awesome. I I would, I would absolutely love to do that. And, and it's funny when I was just hearing you say that I started to realize how much I need that too. It's not like (laughs) I'm creating this, so I don't need it because there was years, I I guess you could say my mid or late twenties where I kind of the mentality, Oh, I don't need anyone. Like, yeah, I'm going to perform at my highest level by myself. And then I recently just started realizing, man, I need other people to be around. I want people to have the, at least the same mentality as me and people that are way ahead of me to to learn from, you know, I, I've heard that saying, I'm probably going to say this incorrectly, but you are the product of the five people you're around the most. Do you know what I'm talking about? Jim, Jim Rohn comment. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I realized I'm like, man, I, I'm not doing that enough. You know, I'm around people sometimes, yeah. but I need to have a group or something, you know, totally. to, to help push me and, and learn and, and be better. Yep. Well, yeah. And, and it does like a, a quick example, you know, we just moved and my son has been dad, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. And, you know, I, I want to take him fishing. We had a lot of stuff going on. I kept, as soon as we get into a new place, I'll take you fishing, you know, real simple. Right? I want to take him fishing, but it's like, oh, I got 20 other things to do. We're busy. This, that. The mastermind group, one of the things we do at the end is we do a takeaway, a couple things. What are you going to do that week? And then you don't want to be the guy the next week who shows up to the group and says, oh, I didn't accomplish my my goals, right? 100%. So one of mine was to take cash fishing. And I took him yesterday morning. It was freaking awesome. We went a couple hour and a half before work. He had a great time. Put him to bed last night. That's what he told me. Dad, I had such, man. I said, what was the best part of your day? But man, going fishing with my best buddy in the morning about made me cry like straight up. Oh, that's amazing. It, it was. It was so cool. But point being is I there was 10 other things I needed to do yesterday morning. 
But the one thing I needed to do was take him fishing. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't have probably done that because I would have found other excuses to put it off another right. day or a week, you know, if I didn't have that accountability for the group. So like it's yeah. super powerful, whether we're talking about fishing or starting a business yeah. or staying sober, like whatever it is, man, it's uh, it's it's really a great thing to have, you know? Yeah, that, that's been one of my biggest, um, I guess, changes of mind that I've had recently is the, the need to have other people yeah. around you like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is completely true. Also, did you say your son's name was Cash? Cash, yeah. That is one of the coolest names I've ever heard. I just wanted to make sure I <laughs> yeah, told thank you that. You. That's after, great. after Johnny Cash, man, I was a huge and still am a huge Johnny Cash fan. And so... Um, yeah, we, his name is actually, it's Cassius, but you know, it's cash for short. So did, yeah. did you guys catch anything? What do you mean on the, um, what do you mean? Well, when you're, didn't you say you went fi fishing? Did I hear you oh. correctly? <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, catch anything. What the fuck? <laughs> Fucking crazy times right now. You know what? We, we, we actually didn't, but we saw a ton, uh, right where we just moved recently, um, there's a little harbor area. And so we saw a ton of fish. Uh, he saw a stingray hanging out under the little bridge area, which was oh, cool. Nice. So yeah, we haven't caught anything yet. We did some, uh, we did some lure fishing. So I think next time we'll do some bait fishing. We'll try to switch it up and see, see what they like. But yeah, we had a good time. And that, that's funny you asked that. Cause that was kind of part of the thing I had to explain to him. He's only seven and we've done some fishing here and there, um, up in Lake Tahoe area and like hiking. Oh, and stuff. cool. Um, but I had to explain to him like, bud, like, part of fishing is being patient and just hanging out and just learning to enjoy the time. And he's like, Oh yeah. Okay. You could kind of see his little wheels yeah. turning and stuff. So just the time together, man, super, super cool. Um, what day, so what days do you put out podcasts? <clears throat> yeah. So right now the schedule is every Monday. Mm -hmm. That's when I have <clears throat> my, I don't want to just say an interview podcast, but that's when I have a guest. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to make it a little bit more conversational versus just a straight interview. So that's yeah. Monday. Then on Friday, I have what's called the Friday debrief. And that's where I just pick a topic. Nice. And it's normally a shorter um, podcast. It's anywhere from seven to 20 minutes will probably be the longest. Um, yeah. So I wanted to incorporate both of those. And some people, you know, listen on the way to work or something like that. And I wanted to make sure there's shorter episodes in there too, where it's easier to listen to the whole yeah. thing at once. Do yeah. you like, do you like, um, doing those monologue style podcasts on Fridays? I, and I only ask that cause I, I, I enjoy them myself on this show. It's just a way to unpack stuff and kind of get some stuff off my mind and share. Um, and then always, you know, getting to pick different topics that people want to listen to and it's kind of fun, huh? Yeah, I, I absolutely <clears throat> love it. I'm not great at it yet. So I figure this is perfect. This is another skill that I can get better at because yeah. it seems like, oh, this would, this is, this would be easy. And then I remember the first or second episode that I did by myself, I probably spent half the day trying to record a, a six minute episode. I'm like, man, I got some work to do. I'm not good at yeah. this. So you hit record, so yeah. stop, record, stop. Damn it. Okay. Wait, let me yeah. try it this way. Oh yeah, dude. Been there. Yep. Still exactly. There but days. yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to get better and improve my craft with it yeah with it just being me versus you know one of my high performing guests yeah yeah that's good dude i mean it's constant constant process constant getting better um have you have you kind of been able to flip the perspective on things and look at <clears throat> maybe a certain challenge maybe it's just like getting better at the podcast is the first example that comes to mind and like see it for not the 
like the hardship it is, but the opportunity to get better at stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yep. hundred <clears> percent. And that also took till my mid, maybe late twenties to really realize that Yeah. viewing these things that are going to be hard and thinking, okay, good, great. I'm going to learn a lot from this. I can put my time and energy into this and improve over time. So it's, it's also the mentality of looking at this, knowing it's going to take a long time to be successful at it and yeah. viewing it in the lens of delayed gratification versus I just want to be good now yeah. because that, at least for me, that's rarely uh, been the case. Yeah. So I definitely, definitely agree with you with looking at it as some type of opportunity versus just, you know, a challenge and a hardship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you, so are you from San Jose? Is that where the originally, cause we didn't, I don't think I caught that before we started recording today. Yeah. So I was born in San Jose. I was there okay. for just a couple of days. And then I lived in the East Bay, um, about 30 or 40 minutes east of San Francisco in the Tri-Valley, a little bit closer to Oakland. I okay. lived there for about 19 years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's funny, man. Cause I'm originally from nor- Northern California too. We're up in, uh, Vacaville area, Solano. Oh, yeah. okay. So okay. Yeah. You, do you guys consider yourself North or East Bay in Vacaville? I think, I think we're like the furthest East Bay, like yeah. city. I don't know. I've heard it referred to that. I've always kind of referred to it as like, you're, cause we're right in the middle between SAC and San Francisco. So yeah. I think it could kind of go, go either way. Um, cool little spot though. But yeah, I just, I mentioned that cause I got the, the Oakland A's hat back there and, uh, oh, so, okay. even though I, I don't Oakland. watch much baseball anymore, you know, unfortunately, but, um, you know, still rocking some A's stuff and miss the games for sure. Oh, that that's amazing. Are you a Raider fan too? Um, I don't really care about football, but if I had to pick, I mean, I don't know, I guess <laughs> I'm so tired of like, okay. So as far as like sports and yeah. being an Oakland fan, like growing up, going to games with my, with my grandpa, my buddies and stuff back in the day, it just got exhausting other than 1989, you know, the, the world yeah. series against San Francisco, dude, like we get to the playoffs every year and then you're like excited and then we just freaking lose. <laughs> it's like, damn, yep. Yep. start watching it's... badminton or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. definitely, uh, it keeps you on your toes if you're an Oakland fan or now a Las Vegas fan, yeah. if you that's watch right. the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. They moved to, to Vegas. I forgot about that. Um, so do you, do you work uh, with any other first responders at all firefighters ems i mean um do you or do you still have any connections to that in the space you're in now yeah so as far as like connections i still uh, keep in close touch with uh, my last captain that i work for he's one of the greatest mm-hmm. humans i've ever met in my life and yeah. consider him a mentor and whatever it would be after that like he is he has taught me so much so i'm in contact with him a good amount and he's, you know, constantly texting or calling and asking how he can help me out, you know, oh, that's awesome. with my endeavor. So he's actually been on the show. I think he's on episode, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 or something. Nice. And then a few other guests were firefighters. And then throughout the course of uh, the podcast, um, which I hope is for a very long time, there's going to be other firefighters. I just, I didn't want every episode to be firefighters. I wanted to kind of space it out a yeah, little bit sure. um, just to give people a variety. But the great thing too, with people that are in the first responder community, most people have very diverse backgrounds. Like there's some that were, that came from the SEAL team. Some didn't have a day of fire experience in their life. Some were in construction, some were pro athletes. So that's the one good thing, but yeah, I'm connected with them in that sense. No one 
works um, with or for me necessarily, but people are on the show and connected yeah. that way. How did you, when, when, when you were um, still in that uh, career setting and, and showing up doing, you know, the day-to-day operations, having to go on specific calls, um, dude, I mean, I know first responders, like I, I'm thinking of, of a good buddy of mine in particular, who's a police officer, just solid dude, man. And he just, the, the, the stuff that he has to deal with sometimes on the day to day is, is tough, you know? And like, I think at least in talking to him, one of the ways that it seems first responders deal with stuff is by finding some comedy in it. And it's not like, because it, they're, they're, trying to be insensitive about it, but it's a, it's a coping mechanism to deal with it, you know? So he'll, he'll say stuff sometimes and I'll laugh and I'm like, holy shit. Like he, but like, and then, but you know, cause I know him when we've talked about it, I understand where he's coming from. Like, how did you, how did you deal with some of the stuff that you had to see or go through and how did you stay sober through that? Like, that's, that's the other part of that. I'm wondering. Yeah. So great question. And uh, my captain, I was just talking about would absolutely love you for saying the the comedy part of that because he tells everyone that literally exactly how you just did. Yeah, we see these things that most people might only see in movies. Of course, yeah. besides um, police and military, so we th- we see these horrific things, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the initial, I guess, processing is trying to to laugh about stuff. And so for me. You know, I I went years and I thought everything was fine, you know, with all the stuff that I had seen. We even had this uh, guy in our department. He had gotten stabbed while on a medical emergency. A random person came up and stabbed him. And so he started doing presentations in our department about PTSD and how almost one third of firefighters, even in our department, are affected with PTSD. And I remember thinking, man, like, I thought that was just the military, but I'm glad I don't have that. Unfortunately, years later, after seeing so many things, all these crazy things start happening in my head, um, in part because of some pretty tragic things I'd seen on on calls. And this especially got worse after I had kids. So I'd start kind of reliving some of these pretty pretty bad things I'd seen with, with children. And so... I didn't know what was going on. You know, I turned into, I've actually don't even think I've ever shared this publicly. I'm, I'm glad I could, you know, share it now yeah. though, but I started turning into like a zombie. That's what my wife would say. Like I just mm. was stone cold and wasn't talking as much. And if I was, it was always negative. So I, I ended up seeking help um, to help with post-traumatic stress. And I couldn't believe that it affected me. So that was what I eventually did after, you know, years of kind of, I wouldn't say years, but I would say months, maybe a year of feeling that way. So I actually spoke with someone who was a retired police captain and he was, you know, now counseling people to help them with PTSD. Um, So that's what I personally did. And the staying sober part, um, like I said, there's only, there's only been about two times in the last, I would say five, 10 years where I really was getting the urge to, to use again. Uh, so for me, I had to realize a, a couple things. So first was I, I called, uh, I was actually my sister. She's one of the people I call when, you know, I struggle with, with that. So I called her and then you have to sit there since you're sober, you have to sit there and logically think what is going to happen if I use again? Yeah. Cause I know my emotions are controlling my brain right now. And I don't think it's the best thing to always respond 
to our emotions. So you have to think there with that sober mind that you have, if you go back to doing what you did, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to lose my wife. I'll probably lose my kids. I'll I'll probably die first, go back to jail, whatever it is, you know, be poor again, all those things. So those were the two things I did. I actually, you know, sought help. And then I had to have that conversation with myself. Like, Hey dude, look, like, look what happened. Are you really ready to go down that road again? Yeah. Are you, are you really going to do that? And every time I sit there and have that conversation in my head or the few times I've had to, it's not even a question anymore. You know, a a craving for a drug, man, it's, are you going to, are you going to go, you know, feed off that emotion and go use again and ruin your life? It's like, man, I've worked so hard to, you know, not just get here, but to not use drugs again. I'm not going to go back to where I was 10 years ago. And and it's kind of cool too. I, I know you've been sober for a long time. Once you're sober for, you know, it could be a month or six months or a year. It's like, it's like this momentum is building yeah. and you come to a point, you're not willing to give that up no matter how hard life gets or yeah. what you see or whatever happens. It's, it's just not worth it at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. That's, and it is like the momentum thing. <clears throat> definitely have that. I definitely am conscious of the fact that I could ruin everything with one bad decision. Like I, yeah. I, I kind of always keep that close to me. And at the same time, it's not even so much the, like, I don't really get bad urges or, I mean, I have thoughts every now and again, no, no doubt, like in maybe a quick thought in like a social setting. Um, but like, it's really the hardest thing, at least for me is just dealing with life on like life's terms and having to feel everything. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm trying to learn to do is like learn to embrace that and actually sit in it. Mm. And it just is. And that comes with, you know, meeting with my sponsor, meditation, prayer, like just living life and, and talk. And actually, really, the, the biggest thing, just talking about stuff, too, um, because it's not, you know, it's not easy. I, I see things one way and they should be my way. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's yeah. like our ego again, right? <laughs> exactly. It creeps in. And <laughs> it's like, man, just because somebody's doing it a different way, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong way. Now, there are things that are just plain out wrong. I don't care. And that's just a whole different thing. But yeah, um, whole nother podcast, a whole nother podcast for that as well, too. Maybe we'll get there one day. That'd that'd be fun. (laughs) Um, Oh, man, I was going to I was going to ask you. Oh, so I wanted to. So one thing I'm picking up on, and I hope you don't mind me just speaking into you a little bit. Not at all. I, I really feel like a great conversation, by the way. Thanks so much for coming on today. I'm really enjoying it. I, I want to chat when we're done, just a few minutes, and maybe we can keep in touch and, and um, you know, staying connected and stuff. But um, I really feel that, you know, God has um, uh, like a calling over you to be able to connect with first responders in particular and, and be able to share with them, um, you know, that there is ways to deal with, with the things that they have seen, the things that they're actively seeing, the things that they're going through, support, all those things. So um, I just wanted to say that, like, thank you for for that, um, you know, for providing that for people out there, dude, because it's huge. And I hope that, you know, something that you've said today, which I'm very confident will, is, is speaking to at least one other person out there, you know, who's a, a firefighter, a police officer, uh, um, a paramedic. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, 
what advice would you have for one of those first responders who's out there right now, who's really struggling? Like what is like a first step they can take maybe to start dealing and start um, recognizing some of the things that they're struggling with? Yeah, this one's really hard because anyone that's a first responder has the that ego personality of not wanting to reach out for help. Mm, so what they're probably going to do and what most people do is you're going to sit there and just let it build for a long time until yeah. it comes to the point where you feel like you have to reach out. So most fire departments, uh, if not the fire department, uh, the police department, there's someone there that can help. There's, there's trained professionals that, that deal with this. And my department, you know, we had that all paid for through the department if you needed to seek that help. So the, the first thing is you need to, to tell someone and not let it just build. Because I'm telling you, man, it just, it gets worse and worse and worse. And time just keeps going on. And, you know, that path that I was going down, that was another scary thing. Because, you know, you get to the point where you're starting to think of not wanting to be alive anymore. And that's a pretty, pretty terrible place to be. So it's hard to realize that though, in the, in the very beginning, but when you start feeling that way, you don't need to be macho anymore. You don't need to be that type a, whatever you want to call it. You, if you want to be able to perform in life and then your job effectively, you need to reach out to someone right away. So I, I would say that's the first step. If there, if you don't have someone that's available, that's a trained professional, uh, a therapist, then at least find a trusted coworker or someone around you that knows you so you can at least talk about it. Because in the beginning for me, it was very hard to, to talk about, but after I got it out, you know, at least a few times it, it helped a lot. So yeah, find someone it's good, hopefully train, but if not find a, someone that's very close to you and, and tell them that yeah. that's what I would do first personally. Yeah. Nice, man. So communication, reaching out, yeah. Um, man, I always say too, there, there's not, you know, there's no weakness in asking for help. There's actually, uh, it's actually really powerful once you submit yeah. to that and just say, Hey man, I, I need a little help. You know what I mean? There's, yep. there's a, there's nothing weak about that. So good, good stuff, man. Um, so where, where can anybody find, um, the podcast, where can they find more information about, um, mission driven made, uh, where can they connect with you at all that, all that, good stuff, man. We'll put it in the show notes, of course, too, but I just want to hear if you want to add anything to that before we wrap up today. Yeah, of course. So Instagram and Facebook, it's just at mission driven made. And then the website is missiondrivenmade.com. I just opened a Twitter account. I haven't used it yet, but so mm-hmm. you'll, you'll see that, you know, in the future, um, we have YouTube, which is mission driven made again. And then as far as where you can listen to the podcast, just about everywhere, there is a podcast, a platform you can listen to it there. Um, nice. The only one that we're not on is it's not Spotify. Uh, I think it's Pandora. We're still mm-hmm. waiting. I don't know what's going on with them, but yeah, just about every yeah. platform that you can think of, you can listen to it there. Awesome, man. Any uh, any last comments, words of advice, anything before we uh, finish up? Yeah. So if you're listening and you're going through it, you're trying to get sober, you're struggling. I know this is really hard to hear. But no matter how much you might have been a victim of something, you do have the choice at this point forward 
to take action with the rest of your life and be the CEO of your life. I know it doesn't feel that way. I know stuff isn't fair, but you are in control. No matter what people tell you before that, you are in control and you can and do have the power change your life and make better decisions. And it's going to be hard, but oh, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be so (laughs) worth it. And your story in the future, you going through that, you get to then tell other people and help them. So imagine with what you went through is so impactful that you can change someone else's life. So that's another motivation to stay, uh, stay sober. Love it, man. Thank you, bro. Thanks for the work you're doing too. Um, you can find one more time, uh, folks listening. It's missiondrivenmade.com, uh, at missiondrivenmade, Instagram and Facebook. And uh, once again, we'll put all those note or those links in the show notes. Uh, Jacob, man, it's been so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today, sharing about your story and uh, sharing just some great advice and experience uh, for first responders out there, man. I, I absolutely love that. So thank you again. Thank you, sir. It's been great. All right. Share the podcast with a friend. You can check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Connect with us on Instagram at thatsoberguypodcast. Join us on Locals. See those links in there as well. Love you guys. Thanks for supporting the show. Peace, love, and respect, and keep your blood clean.